0: Behold, a dead man was carried out in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Today's uh, gospel we see something quite, quite interesting. Our Lord is witnessing this, this sorrowful procession, um, this heart-rendering scene, uh, of this sorrow which afflicts the heart of this mother. And I don't know if there's a sorrow more profound than uh, seeing the loss of someone we love it's almost inconsolable and our lord works this miracle um, without being asked he's just a bystander the dead man doesn't ask him he's dead he can't say anything but our lord looks with compassion upon this man for the sake of his mother And the church fathers commenting say that this this man symbolises the human race, dead to the life of grace. And God sends his son uh, for us to raise us back to the life of grace. And I want to use this story to compare it with another story of a dead man in the life of that gentle Saint, Saint Anthony. In some ways, it's very similar, but other ways, you're thinking, well, what, what, there's almost no relation. But it's quite a profound story in the life of Saint Anthony of Padua, and it's written by, uh, taken from the life of Saint Anthony of Padua by Sico Ricci Polente, written in the 1400s, and he relates a story in the life of Saint Anthony, where Saint Anthony is also a bystander of uh, of a man who died and is being taken to be to his burial, and this author writes that in Tuscany. Which is a large province in Italy, Saint Anthony, as was customary, happened to attend the funeral of a rich man, a rich and wealthy man. Suddenly, moved by a fervor of the spirit, he, St Anthony, exclaimed, "The dead man should not be buried in a holy place, but outside the city walls, like a dog, since his soul is damned to hell and he does not have a heart in his body." For in the words attributed to our Lord by the holy evangelist Luke, where his treasure is, there also is his heart. And now uh, on hearing this, the people, as you can imagine, they're astounded. This saintly priest is making such an astounding statement. And it's it's very negative, very harsh. It's not one of compassion, of encouragement. It's uh, one of adding fuel to the fire. He's saying this man is wicked, is damned, and he ought not to receive a, 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 be received into a, a holy burial place. And everyone became very excited and various opinions were voiced. Finally, those who had been ordered to inspect the body to see if what the saint said was true, opened up his chest. They did not find the heart inside it, but rather as the saint had predicted. In the place, there was his money. For this reason, the city praised both God and the saint, and the dead man was not buried in the tomb that had been prepared for him, but dragged to the countryside, uh, to the countryside, and buried like a donkey. And you might think, well, it's a bit of a, a bit of a harsh story, but you know, St. Paul says God loves uh, a cheerful, a generous giver, but likewise. God hates the miser. And in a certain sense, that miser is, is us. Because one thing we have in common with the miser is that the miser, what makes him wicked is that he judges everything by his own standard. Uh, how is this thing, this reality in my life, whatever it is, going to benefit me? How is it going to make me feel Am I going to feel good uh, as a result of this or that thing? Possessing this or that thing? Doing this or that thing? And if I'm not, then, then to hell with it. Whereas the friend of God judges things by the standard of God. And what is the standard of God? The standard of God is that everything in this life, everything in my life was made for one ultimate reality, the glory of God and the service of my neighbor. And to the degree that it doesn't give glory to God, uh, it doesn't give service to my neighbor, it deviates from the end to which it was made. And it can become even quite harmful. And our Lord elaborates on this point very, very extensively in the New Testament, many places. He even gives us a, a whole parable, and several parables if you want, on this point. But the one that's most stark and most harsh is the parable of Lazarus and Deves, the rich man and the beggar. And our Lord makes only a few brief points about the life of the rich man. that He ate well. He ate three times a day. And if there's someone you know who doesn't, let me know. Today they eat all day long. Uh, He lived very comfortably. And he was quite meager with the beggar. Uh, We live today far more uh, wealthily than that rich man in the New Testament that our Lord speaks about. Uh, we live today greater, uh, a, a more luxurious life, even the most poorest of us, a more luxurious life than all the kings and queens in the history of humanity. Uh, I can do some, many things that I have, they would have given their entire kingdom to have. Not only air conditioning, running water. I can make a phone call to someone uh, on the other side of the world. I can communicate in an instant. Internet uh, Uh, telephone, all these amazing tools we have today. Uh, The comforts, the luxuries that I I have a car, I can put fuel in it, I can travel to as far as it can take me on land. They never had any of these things. We we are far more comfortable today than any of those people that our Lord speaks about in the New Testament. And we are often far more stingier. And it's not, I know we can easily say, uh, I don't have much money. But our Lord in the New Testament makes this point clear. It's not about the money. It's about the talents, the positions, the gifts you have in life. How did you use it? It could be a position of just that. You're you're a father. You're a mother. You're 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 employed in a particular role in life. Uh, how do you use that position? How do you use your authority? How do you use your your talents? Or how do you not use your talents? Often we hide behind the fact that, I, Father, I'm very shy, I can't do that. It's just your pride that's got in the way. Anything that is worth doing is worth doing badly, in the sense that if it's worth doing, it's worth learning, uh, uh, making mistakes along the way. Nobody here who drives got in the car the first time and they were brilliant expert drivers. No, you, you probably made a lot of mistakes. You probably even had a lot of accidents along the way. That's life. We learn, we grow. The danger is for us and the excuse that we often put up about being generous with God and our neighbor is, Father, most people, the reality, and it's true, it's a true objection, but if it's a false attitude. The objection is, Father, the reality is most people are ungrateful. And that's true. Remember the story of, uh, uh, in the life of our Lord, where there were the ten lepers, only, only one came back and thanked our Lord, and our Lord knew that only one was going to come back and thank him, but for all that, our Lord healed all ten. And not only did our Lord heal all 10, here's a question for you: The one that our Lord that, that came back and thanked our Lord, of all 10 of them, which, which of them were worthy of the kindness of our Lord's miracle? My answer to you is none of them. Even the one that came back and said thanks. He wasn't worthy of this great gift. He was just less unworthy. That's the only difference. None of us are worthy of any of the gifts of our Lord. Who here, including myself, is worthy of a communion? None of us. It's the question of being less unworthy. Who's worthy of God? Nobody. And if we are in any way, in any way, worthy of our Lord, it's because He's made us worthy, not because we are good. It's because He is good, and He has placed His goodness in us. The point is, if we weigh our generosity with the stinginess of men, then we become blind and bitter. Our standard must be God. Be holy, be generous as your heavenly Father is generous. Is holy. Our Lord says in the New Testament my Father, he gives it to rain on the, the nations which are just and those which are unjust. It, it rains in the countries which are Catholic and the ones which are non-Catholic. The ones which are wicked and the ones that are not wicked. God doesn't withhold his goodness, his graces just because we are wicked. This is the reality that we must imitate. Our Lord, in in, in today's gospel, He was not asked to show this mercy. And He did. This is what we must imitate. We don't have to be asked when we see an opportunity to do good. We must be prompt. To follow the inspirations of grace, to show that mercy, to show that compassion, just as we would want others to, to do to us. You know, Saint Francis de Sales, he says, speaking of Saint John the Baptist, he says, Of all the saints, which one was being in the history after our visit, our Lord and our lady, which saint was the most mortified? in the history of all the saints he says saint john the baptist and you might think well, why does he say it? is it because that he ate locusts and honey no but let me explain to you why he says john the baptist so let's just take a contrast of two other saints mary and martha friends of our lord they were uh, loved by our lord they were very generous benefactors to our lord But the attitude of Mary and Martha reminds us very much of ourselves. So in their life, remember their brother Lazarus was sick and dying. And so Martha sends word uh, to go and get our Lord because his friend Lazarus is dying. And our Lord, on purpose, doesn't come. He delays his his coming. And Mary, uh, when our Lord does arrive, Martha rebukes our Lord, very gently, but she rebukes our Lord saying, Lord uh, if, you, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now what she's saying, she's saying what me and you would be. You think all the time. Lord, you're my friend and you love Lazarus and Lazarus, he loves you a lot and if you really loved him as you should and I like to think you do then you would have spared us this sorrow you would have spared us this tragedy. Because if you're our friend, that's what friends do. They look out for each other, they help each other. So where were you when we needed you? And not only does Martha think like this, the Gospel tells us that, in fact, the entire crowd are thinking like this. The The Jews, it says, therefore said, behold how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he that opened the eyes of the man born blind have caused that this man should not die? In other words, everyone understood this point. If you really loved him, and he's this great miracle worker, well, where's his compassion for his friend? He allowed him to die. That's how we all think. Lord, I'm your friend, I love you, and in fact, I'm probably generous with others, and I do good, and where are you when I need you? Uh, How is it that I'm enduring this suffering, this difficulty, this trial in my life? Well, now let's contrast that a little bit to John the Baptist. So John the Baptist sends his disciples who are doubtful about who our Lord is. John John the Baptist knows who he is, very clear about who he is. And St. John the Baptist, regarding our Lord, says, Behold, there's one in your midst of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Those words speak volumes to us today, who feel a deep sense of entitlement. I'm not worthy even to untie His sandals, let alone receive our Lord in, in the Blessed Sacrament. Unworthy, me, a great, this great mortified saint. But these disciples, they go to our Lord in, in obedience to, to John the Baptist, and our, our Lord says to them, "Go and tell John the Baptist, who, as you know, at this point in his life, is is in prison." He says to him, go and, and relate to John what, you have see, what you've seen and heard. You, you've seen it with your own eyes. And what is it? That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf uh, uh, hear and the dead rise again and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's beautiful to relate to John. But notice that in all of those words, there's not a single word of consolation for John himself who's languishing in prison. And notice that St. John does not ask the disciples and what did he say about me or for me surely surely if he's my friend and not only is our Lord the friend of John the Baptist he's also his cousin so even more motive that he's got to help him he's my cousin and not only that he's the one who's the precursor of our Lord preparing souls for the Messiah all the more motive to help his friend his cousin his precursor not a single word of consolation Not a single word of reassurance. Don't worry, hang in there. I'm going to deliver you. Where was our Lord for John the Baptist? Our Lord's friendship didn't mean the the taking away of the cross, the sorrows, the difficulty. Our Lord's friendship only means the fidelity in the trials, in the difficulties, in the sorrow. When When we get bitten by people who treat us ungratefully, Our hearts tend to shrivel up. We become uh, less generous, less wanting to give. St. John the Baptist wanted to give all the more. And it reminded me of a story in the life of St. Thomas More. St. Thomas More was locked up in prison before he was about to be executed. His lovely wife came to him and she saw the, the languid state of the small cell that he was placed in. And he said to his wife, he said, look, if you had gone to your reward to God and died before me, I would have put myself in a even smaller cell that I've been placed in today. I would have gone to a monastery and had a smaller cell. God has given me a a far bigger cell than I would have given myself. In other words, in the difficulties, he didn't become bitter, he became all the greater, all the more uh, able to see God's plan, all the better to understand the goodness of God and to see how God's grace is at work. And I, and I think this is a problem today. Often the young people today and people don't take up their, their duty or their religious vocation that God is called to because they often weigh it up by by what? What am I going to have to let go of? What am I going to have to give up? and not And forgetting the great generosity of God who gives us such a superabundance of blessings. And what a great opportunity it is for us to be uh, able to serve God in this capacity. What a great privilege, what a great honor uh, to have this, this gift given to us in serving God in the religious state. On the contrary, and, and you know, our Lord tells us in the New Testament. If you wish to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And, you know, if you think to yourself, all of those people that we, when we say, oh, that's a great woman, a great mother, a great father, a great priest, uh, a great doctor, what are we saying that's in common with all of them? That they are giving their life at the service of others. Their life is not about themselves. They're great because, good mother, good father, because they are faithful in laying down their their life for their family, for their duty, for those that are under them. This is what our Lord asks us in our life. The minute that we start to think this life is is about me, is then the downfall, tragedy of our life. I saw this uh, clip the other day and it's sort of explain this from another perspective, and I, I don't really remember all of it. All I remember is, is it, the heading was simply, when you make happiness the purpose of your life. And then the clip just proceeded to show how people were going through life uh, pulled in by the commercialism. Because if your life is about feeling happy, then to feel happy you've got to be constantly consuming things or buying things or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter what you buy because you just think that you're happy because you've got things, you're possessing things. In fact, then you become a slave. Slave to what? Your feelings, your passions and your emotions. And actually, you're not happy. You're miserable. And that's the whole state of the modern world. They are not happy. They don't even know what actually they really want in life. In fact, they have a sense of hopelessness in their life. It's like they're dead. If you ask a young person, what do you want to do in life? I don't know. They don't really care. That's the, the reality. Because there's an emptiness. Uh, uh, recently, I went to an art gallery. Uh, and I'll have a great love for, for art and architecture. And in this art gallery, that they, they gave us uh, like a coupon when you walk in. And you can vote on which you think is the best best artwork. And I, I put down one I thought was okay. And it wasn't a terrible uh, artwork. Some, some of them were quite good. But at, at the end, as I was walking in, I said to them, look... Uh, uh, how do uh, I submit an artwork here, this art gallery? And they said, well, uh, well, you, this is the process. I said, well, um, for some artworks you've got to be a member. I said, well, how do I become a member? Well, you've got to fill out this form and pay this fee. I said, good, can I have a form? And they said, yeah. I said, yeah. She said to me, uh, uh, do you have an artwork you'd like? I said, no, no, it's not for me. It's for a parishioner of, of mine, um, and I think the artwork's better than almost most of the artwork here. But I took the form and I gave it to this person and I said, "Look, I think you should become a member not because only you can submit your artwork, but also they will teach you uh, they have uh, days where, they, where where they will help you uh, become a better at what you're doing uh, because it's important that you have this having this gift that you learn to improve on it and give glory to God and edification to your neighbor It doesn't mean by giving glory to God it doesn't mean that you have to draw religious pictures uh, it means that you must edify. You must uh, show forth beauty. Because in nature, that's God's artwork. It's beautiful. It's not, they're not all statues of, of saints in, in the art uh, of, of real life. The Mountains, uh, uh, oceans, it, that's the beauty of God. And we must learn to reflect that. God's given you a talent. He'll ask you, how did you use it? If you hid it because you want to be shy, uh, you'll be punished for it. Better had you not had it than to had it and hid it or not used it for the benefit of your neighbour, like that miser. My fear is many of us today are like that miser in the life of St. Anthony. Our treasure is today ourselves. And today, unfortunately, many of us do have a sense of entitlement. Today, most of the younger generation are entitled spoiled brats and you know, if you try to correct them and it's very hard as an employer to correct someone because, you know, then they, they, they come out with a complex and then they feel that you're bullying them, that you, you've been treating them unjustly and they need to take time off to because they need uh, to cope with the, the correction they were given. But no sense of responsibility, accountability, of actually you, you need to do your job properly. Uh, it's very interesting, one of our faithful, I spoke to the other day, they said, In my role as as a nurse, I had to correct a a younger nurse and just say, look, you you have to use some critical thinking in in your job because in your judgments, your your decisions, lives may depend upon that. And the person's response was very, like, amazing. It was, well, that's your fault because you didn't teach me how to think critically. And the person said, Father, I said to them, look, you know, for you to get here today... Um, it required a bit of effort, and they said, Well, what do you mean? I said, Well, you had to get out of bed, you had to check the watch, you had to drive, and along the way, that would have required some, you know, some thinking of, of your own. Uh, you know, you've got to stop at the lights, and they said, Yeah, what's your point? Well, I can't think for you. You have to be able to think for yourself. Uh, I didn't think for you to get out of bed and get to work. So, the same thing in, in our role here you have to be able to use your brain. I can't use it for you. And in the story of Lazarus and Devis, our Lord says that Lazarus, he uses the same excuse. He says, look, Lord, if I'd only known better, how about now that I'm damned, how about you raise up Abraham from the dead and, and get him to warn my brothers so they don't end up in the same place? And our Lord says, no. Because if they didn't listen to Abraham and the prophets, we are not going to listen to if I raise someone from the dead. We're not going to be excused from this point, this duty of using our gifts and our talents. And, you know, our, our Lord says to us that, uh, you know, if you only do good to those that do good to you, what, what reward do you expect in return? He says sinners do that. If you only lend to those who are going to pay you back, sinners do that. Allah says, do good to them that hate you. Lend without expecting something in return. You know, one of my relatives said the other day to me, I was quite astounded and amazed with what he said. He said, you know, I went overseas for a holiday and he said to me, I I took um, spending money but I also took aside uh, 5,000 with me to give in alms deeds. That's just for alms deeds alone. And and to anyone indiscriminately, not uh, looking at who deserves and who doesn't deserve. You know, if we, we judge things by who deserves and who doesn't deserve, the reality is that nobody deserves. It's, it's only God who deserves any goodness, because He is goodness itself. We are not worthy. Uh, we don't judge by who is worthy of our compassion. Our Lord says, when I was in prison you visited me. If we only visit those who are worthy in prison, we won't be visiting many people. Uh, often they are there because, not always, but often they are dead because they've done something wrong. And it doesn't mean that because they've done something wrong, we exclude them from our compassion. It means that all the more our hearts should be enlarged. And, and this is a reality for us today. We see the wickedness of the world around us and we withdraw. And St. Paul says that on the contrary, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more what is he saying that where wickedness surrounds us all the more is that an opportunity for us to grow in greatness to grow in generosity all the more our opportunities presented for us we ought not to see that therefore because of the evil around us this hinders us from the work that god expects of us it simply means that we have to maybe find different ways of of reaching through to people, and I, I think today it's not uh, less. So we we preach uh, at them, rather more we show that compassion, and through that they see the Christ in us. But all the more must we learn to be generous in the circumstances that we see surrounding us today. The danger is we become like that miser, but the consequences are eternal uh, if we have a miser's heart. And as I say to to, uh, if we are honest to a greater or lesser extent, we all do have a miser's heart. And, and we have to be honest about that. We have to learn to see, okay, there are gifts and talents that God has given to me. How am I using them? And, and comfort and ease, they are, part of, they, are, they are there in our life to help us, to facilitate us in living the life of generosity. They are not the end and must not be the end and, and goal of our life. And, and often young people make this mistake. I, I want to have, have wealth so I can retire and be um, live a comfortable retirement. No, that's not the purpose of your life. purpose is to give glory to God and edification to your neighbour. Your life is to serve. That's the glory of your life. And why is it glory? Because I'm serving God and edifying my neighbour. And this way will I save my soul? Uh, this is the purpose of my life. My purpose of my life is not myself. And, you know, w- take into consideration what I've said. Uh, how hard is it for young people today to not only get married, but to stay married? If you think the purpose of your life is, is yourself, and then you realise you're married and the other person thinks the same, well, you're going to be unhappy. You're going to be miserable. You want to get out of that uh, state. Where each is seeking themselves, it's going to be a nightmare. Because you've set yourself up for a tragedy. Uh, Because that's not what marriage is about. It's laying down your life for the other. And then when the children come along, all the more, uh, is it a life of sacrifice? It's not easy. And this is for us quite a quite a few uh, things to think about. All the more do we need to ask for our lady's help today. Our Lady who is the mother of compassion. St. Pius X says, We turn to Our Lady so that she may make us worthy of the promises of Christ. We ask today that our Lord would look with compassion and mercy upon the world for the sake of her tears shed for us, we sinners. Because we, we, like that dead man, cannot speak for ourselves. We are not worthy to be heard on account of our sinfulness. But she is, because she is his mother, the mother of compassion and mercy. Let us ask for her to intercede for us to her son, that through her intercession, he may show us that mercy and compassion, and that we may be raised from the life of sin to a life of generosity and greatness. We We may come one day to that kingdom which has no end forever in heaven. In the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Amen.